Erev Tov, everybody. Welcome to another edition of our Thursday night Parashat HaShavua class. We are studying a new Sefer in our Chumash, in our Chamisha Chumshet Torah. Today we begin with Sefer Shemot, Parashat Shemot. And I'm going to take you, with your permission, on a beautiful journey tonight to touch upon some ideas that uh, maybe we've never heard about or maybe we've never uh, delved into with regards to what seems to be a story that we grew up learning in a very, very simple way. In this week's parasha, we're going to focus on a esoteric conversation that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had with Moshe Rabenu after delegating him to take the Jewish people out of Egypt. I would like to read for you the excerpt in the parasha in the fourth parak of Sefer Shemot. The Torah tells us, Vayan Moshe Vayomar, Moshe Rabbeinu responded and said, after being requested to go and take them out, Vehen lo yaminuli, they will not believe me. Velo yishma'u bekoli, ki yomeru lo nira'elech Hashem. They're not going to listen to my voice, for they will say, Hashem did not appear to you. Vayomar elav Hashem, ma ze beyadecha? Hashem said to Moshe, what is in your hand? Vayomer mate, and he said, a staff. Vayomer hashlichehu arza. God said to Moshe, throw it to the ground. Vayashlichehu arza, vayhilenahash, vayanos Moshe mipanav. He threw it to the ground, and it became a snake, and Moshe ran away from it. Vayomer Hashem el Moshe, God said to Moshe, shelach yadecham veechoz biznabo. Stretch out your hand and grab its tail. He stretched out his hand and grabbed it tightly. And it became a staff in his palm. And Hashem said, So that they shall believe that God, Hashem, the God of their forefathers, appeared to you the God of Abraham, the God of Yitzchak, and the God of Yaakov. This exchange is astonishing. After all, Moshe Rabbeinu was the loyal shepherd who always stood up for Am Yisrael. In fact, after the Heta Egel, he demonstrated his willingness to sacrifice his life on their behalf by telling HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Ve'ataim tisachatatam, ve'imayim echeninam yisifrecha asher katavta. Bear their sin, if not erase me from your book, Moshe Rabbeinu threatened God after the Chet HaEgil. So why did he doubt the Jewish people here? Why did he suspect them that they would not believe him? And as well, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu instruct that Moshe cast his staff to the ground, transform it into a snake, and have Moshe pick it up by its tail before transforming it back into a staff. What exactly did this imply? So today or tonight we're going to embark on a journey that's going to begin with the holy commentary of the Al-Shicha Kadosh. And he goes to great lengths to prove that the entire exile in Egypt, Galut Mitzrayim, was designated by God to cleanse the Jewish people of the corruption 
the stench of the serpent, of the Nahash, the snake, that infected all of creation because of the chet, of the etzadat, the sin of eating from the tree. And this was a prerequisite for Am Yisrael to be able to receive the Torah. They had to go through Egypt. Their suffering, the back-breaking labor in Egypt, through that, they were cleansed from that contamination, contamination of the Nahash, and then, and only then, was God prepared to give B'nai Israel the Torah. And to, to substantiate this claim, the Al-Sheikh recites the Pasuk, But Hashem has taken you and withdrawn you from the iron crucible. To be a nation of heritage for, uh, for him to this very day. And Rashi says, what is this Kura Barzel, this iron crucible? And he says it's a vessel in which they refine gold. In other words, just like the impurities adherent to the gold need to be removed by means of melting in an iron crucible, so too it was necessary to purify and refine the holy souls of B'nai Israel from there adhere in pure impurities by means of what of suffering and hard labor in Egypt and this preparation was necessary for them to receive the Torah to be a nation of heritage for him this very day this assertion of the holy al-sheikh kadosh is founded in the holy teachings of the arizal and he tells us that all of Bnei Israel that endured the hardships of Galut Mitzrayim, every single soul that was present there, were originally part of Adam Harishon when he sinned with the Etzadat. And to achieve their rectification and their tikkun, they were required to go through several, several reincarnations to rid themselves of the contamination. This is no secret. We've spoken about it in this class many times about how many different episodes had to take place to rectify this sin. In fact, one can argue that we are here today in Tafshin Pei Aleph still to rectify the sin of the Etzadat. This is no secret. But they had to go through several Gilgulim until Egypt to do so. The first reincarnation was the reincarnation of the generation of the flood. And since that generation unfortunately was tainted with the evil of the serpent, of the Nachash, of the snake, they behaved corruptly. Subsequently, after that, they reincarnated to the Dora Palaga, the generation of the dispersion. And there too, they behaved corruptly. They failed to remedy the flaw. And this is apparent from the Pasuk. The Torah tells us, That God descended to the city and the tower the tower which the sons of Adam built. So this pasuk clearly uh, emphasizes the fact that the sinners of the generation were descendants of Adam, alluding to the fact that they were incorporated within him. Then they reincarnated a third time into the inhabitants of Sedom. And then we know again, the Torah tells us, V'anshei Sedom ra'im v'chataim l'ashem me'od. The people of Sedom were exceedingly wicked and sinful to Hashem. 
So after failing three times to achieve their tikkun, they reincarnated a fourth time into Bnei Israel in Egypt. And due to their suffering and the harsh servitude, they were finally cleansed and worthy of receiving the Torah. Interesting, this isn't just made up. There's actual, actually scriptural allusions to all these reincarnated souls through the generations. Corresponding to the generation of the flood that was wiped out, Paro tells uh, his servants, that every male child has to be thrown into the river to drown, just like the generation of the flood had to drown. Regarding the sins committed during the generations of the Palaga, the dispersion, the Torah tells us in Sefer Bereshit that each man told his friend, Hava nilvena levenim, let us make bricks, burn them in fire, and let the bricks uh, 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 turn into stone so that they create this tower. They attempted to ascend to Shamaim, to deny God's sovereignty on the world, to wage war against God. What happens in Mitzrayim? Let us outsmart the Jewish people. And they embittered the lives of the Jews with hard work, with mortar and bricks. Not a coincidence. So corresponding to the building of the city and the tower, they were ad, asked to build storage cities. And Ramses, the two cities that had to be built by these same souls. So we see that when the Nachash Kadmoni infected Adam and Chava with its vileness, its perversion, it infected all the Neshamot that were incorporated within their beings. And this coincides beautifully with what we said with the Alshich HaKadosh, that the purpose of the Galut in Mitzrayim was to rid the Jewish people, the holy nation, that had reincarnated into Mitzrayim with that contamination, to get rid of the contamination. The Shalah Kadosh asks, why were Bnei Israel specifically enslaved by Paro in Egypt? And he answers that Paro Melech Mitzrayim was the embodiment of the actual Nachash Kadmoni. He caused that Nachash that caused the Jewish people to sin or all of the Jewish people to sin with the Etzadat. And the source of this idea actually is found in the Zohar. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu arranged for the Neshamot that were involved in the sin of the tree to, due to the influence of the Nachash, to suffer directly the hardships and slavery under Paro. Again, the, who embodied the Nachash HaKadmoni. And therefore, the suffering would cleanse them of the corrupt and all the bad influences of the Nachash. To go a little bit deeper, if that wasn't deep enough, we would need to introduce a, another principle. The, the Arizal tells us that Moshe Rabenu resembled Adam HaRishon. That just as Adam HaRishon encompassed all the Neshamot of the world, because he was the first man, so too, Moshe Rabbeinu was equivalent to all the Jewish souls. And he adds that Moshe Rabbeinu embodied the good aspects of Adam after he performed complete teshuvah. 
in the beginning of this week's parasha, when the daughter of Paro picks up Moshe from the Nile, it says, Sorry, no, I take that back. When the, when the mother of Moshe gives birth to Moshe, Yocheved, she opens, she sees him for the first time and sees that he's good. She saw that he was good. In other words, Yocheved perceived that he embodied everything that was good in this world. The part that did not participate and contribute to the sin of the Chet of the Etzadat. And the Gemara Masechet Eruvin describes the Teshuvah of Adam HaRishon as follows, that Adam HaRishon was exceedingly pious. And when he saw that creation had been penalized with death on his account, he fasted for 130 years. That was Adam HaRishon's Teshuvah, 130 years fasting. Correspondingly, not coincidentally, Moshe Rabenu was born 130 years after the beginning of the Galut in Egypt. We know this from the fact that the Jews were in Egypt for 210 years and Moshe Rabenu was 80 years old at the time of the Exodus. So this explains very nicely what the Arizal taught us. And in a literal sense, it means that a new king arose, a new more evil king than the one that was previously there who didn't know Yosef. But the Arizal here says, means a new leader came upon Egypt. He explains why HaKadosh Baruch Hu specifically chose Moshe Rabbeinu to be the Melech Hadash to, to take Bnei Israel out of Mitzrayim. It makes perfect sense. All the Neshamot that were tarnished by the Chet Etzadat, the sin of the tree, returned as Gilgulim to Egypt to be cleansed through hard labor and servitude. Those Neshamot represented branches of Moshe. Hence, HaKadosh Baruch Hu imposed upon him the task of rectifying them and taking them out of Mitzrayim. So let's just clarify. Moshe Rabbeinu was a Gilgul, a reincarnation of Adam HaRishon, Adam who harmed all the Neshamot contained within him by sinning with the Yetzadat, and therefore all the Neshamot that reincarnated into Mitzrayim to accomplish their Tikkun for that sin of the Yetzadat were offshoots of the Neshama of Moshe Rabbeinu. That is why Moshe was chosen by God, Moshe being the embodiment of the good aspects of Adam HaRishon, he was chosen to remedy those tainted souls and take them out of Egypt. We can now appreciate why Moshe Rabbeinu feared that the Jewish people would not believe him. As we explained, the Neshamot of Bnei Israel in Egypt were corrupted, corrupted by the heresy of the Nahash, of the evil serpent in Gan, in, in, in Gan Eden. The Nachash told Chava, ah, you know why God doesn't want you to eat? Because He knows that the day you'll eat, you'll, you'll be like God, knowing good and bad. So they reincarnated into the generation of the flood, and then the generation of the dispersion. And both of those generations were evil and corrupt and denied the sovereignty of God. And therefore, the lack of emunah in Hashem was deeply rooted in them. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu decreed at the Brit Pena Betarim by Abraham Avinu that they would be enslaved for 400 years and they didn't fulfill that decree yet. It still hasn't been 400. All in all, Moshe Rabbeinu had significant reason to doubt the Jewish people believing him. So with all this in mind, 
maybe we can explain Akadosh Baruch Hu's deep response to Moshe concerning his staff. This staff, Rabotai, this stick of Moshe, has a fascinating history. Uh, its journey began in the hands of none other than Yaakov Avinu. And after that, it was subsequently passed down from generation to generation and will eventually make its way into the hands of Melech HaMashiach, who will use it to vanquish all the idolaters, all the heretics. This is brought down in the Midrash, Midrash Teilim. It went from Yaakov to Yehuda to Moshe to Aharon to David. And every single king had possession of this staff. Until the time of Mashiach. The staff of your strength will be dispatched by Hashem from Zion. That will happen in the times of Mashiach. There's a big question. The question is, how did Yaakov Avinu, we're going back to Yaakov. How did Yaakov Avinu manage to acquire all of his flocks of sheep? while he was residing with Laban. So if you go back to Sefer Bereshit, in Parashat Vayetze, the Torah describes that Yaakov took for himself a rod, a staff, a moist rod of poplar and hazel and chestnut, and he peeled it, and he took the rod, and he stuck the rods which he had peeled in the channels, in the watering troughs, and... Through that, this very weird, peculiar act was meant to be a symbolic gesture. What was Yaakov actually accomplishing with this act? I'm going to explain to you something today, tonight in the name of the many, many Mekubalim that you've probably never heard before. What Yaakov Avinu was actually doing here was freeing the Neshamot, the souls of the Jewish people, that were held captive among the flock of Lavan, among the sheep of Lavan. He employed the makal livne, the makel. The makel is the staff. The makel is an acronym for the words me'olam kivinu lach. We have always placed our hope in you. What is going on here? What did I just say? What neshamot, what souls of Jews are found among the sheep of Laban? I need to explain this. So hang on with me. The Torah tells us that Yaakov tells Laban, Ki me'at haya asher haya lecha lefanai vayifrotz larov, vayvarech Hashem otcha leragli. When Yaakov Avinu was ready, sick and tired of Laban's ha- Laban and wanted to leave his house, he tells him, the little you had before I came was now multiplied substantially. The Midrash tells us, listen to this everyone, the Midrash teaches us how small was Lavan's flock prior to Yaakov's arrival. How many sheep did he have? The Midrash tells us, Shivain. The Midrash tells us he had 70 sheep. How does the Midrash know this? Because using a Gezerah Shavah, a Gezerah Shavah is when you see one word in one pasuk and one word, sim, the same word in another pasuk, you can learn something from it. 
The Gizra Shavah says, when Yaakov Avinu told Lavan, you had a small amount, the word that was used was me'at, small, minute. That's one place we see the word me'at. Another place we see the word me'at is in reference to the Jews living in Egypt, or coming to Egypt. Vayagorsham bimte me'at. That's what the Pasuk say. We, we recall this Pasuk during the Haggadah Shel Pesach. Vayagorsham bimte me'at. Same word, me'at. And the Midrash deduces, just like they came to Egypt with only 70 people, Yaakov and his family, so too, Lavan had 70 sheep. Okay, makes sense. Then the Midrash goes on. And the Midrash says, how many sheep did Yaakov walk out with? He started with 70. How much was there at the end? And the Midrash says he had 600,000. 600,000. How do we know this? Again, Agzera Shava. Because when, Lavan, when Yaakov told Lavan that I've walked out of here with so much, he used the words, Bimod Meod. And that's the same words that is used to describe the Jewish people multiplying in Egypt. So just like the Jewish people numbered 600,000, so too the number of sheep when Yaakov left Lavan's house was 600,000. Okay, Rabbi, thank you very much. How does this change my life? What is going on here? What is the connection between the 70 souls that went down to Egypt that increased to 600,000, and the number of Lavan's sheep that initially numbered 70 and increased to 600,000 under Yaakov's supervision. So Mekubalim explain why Yaakov became a shepherd for Lavan based on novelty. And he says it was because the neshamot of the Jewish people, those same neshamot that were tainted by the sin of the Chet of the Etzadat, reincarnated yet another time, a time that I did not mention the first time, reincarnated into the sheep that he cared for. And Yaakov Avinu, the splendorous beauty of Adam, came and took care of those animals to heal them. And ultimately, those Neshamot reincarnated into the Neshamot of the Jews in Mitzrayim, and that's where they are. Now it sounds crazy. How do male souls go into, or human souls, go into uh, uh, flocks of sheep? That I can't answer because I am not a Mekubal. I'm only relaying the information. But there was a purpose to what needed to happen. Yaakov devised many tricks and strategies to heal those Neshamot. And he did, think, did things very strategically as we're going to see. Such as the intricate procedure with the rods and the peeling. So the sheep came into his possession. What we know is now that the sheep belonged to Yaakov. He was truly a tzaddik. He didn't perform these acts for monetary gain. He wasn't in it for the money. On the contrary, what Yaakov was aiming to seek his sole aim was to return those sheep to the realm of Kedusha. And they were eventually elevated to the status of Adam, human being, members of the Jewish nation. 
So this is the point of the Midrash concerning Lavan sheep. When the Jewish people descended into the, ex- the exile of Egypt, they numbered 70 people. That's all they had. Yaakov and his household. Ish ubeto ba'u. And subsequently their numbers increased to 600,000. The same was true of Lavan sheep that included the Neshamot that had reincarnated. Initially they were only 70, but they eventually they increased to 600,000. This is the gist of the explanation. Wow! So the holy Neshamot of the generation of the Mabul, of the flood, and the same Neshamot of the generation of the Palaga, the dispersion, and the same Neshamot of the the populace of Sedom reincarnated into Lavan sheep. And our Av, our esteemed forefather Yaakov, performed the tikkun on their behalf. Through the process of Gilgul, he elevated them, these same souls, to the status of Adam. They reincarnated into the generations that lived during the Galut in Egypt. And therefore, Yaakov Avinu and his children were all shepherds. For that purpose, to rectify those neshamot. And it appears that everything we've said so far makes very, very much sense to what we've said in the beginning. To summarize, the neshamot of the Jews, the neshamot of Israel, were originally tainted by the sin of the tree of knowledge, reincarnated into the generation of the Mabu, then into the generation of the dispersion, then the populace of Sedom, and ultimately into Egypt, where they achieved their tikkun in Egypt. They achieved the rectification. And additionally, we learned that prior to landing in Egypt, those three corrupt groups were reincarnated into the sheep of Lavan. Now, maybe we can begin to understand this symbolic gesture of Yaakov Avinu, what he performed with the rods when he placed them into the water. Among those flocks of sheep were great souls that were tainted, great souls that longed to achieve rectification. Therefore, their emunah, their faith in Hashem was now fortified. Where? In the sense of the makal, that the makel, that staff, the acronym of me'olam kivinulach. We have always placed our hope in you. They believed firmly through this tikkun, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would take them out of darkness and bring them into light by allowing them to reincarnate into Jewish souls in Egypt. And that only in Egypt where they were going to achieve their complete tikkun and merit the Torah at Har Sinai. So Yaakov Avinu takes these rods and he places them in front of the sheep to fortify their emunah in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When did Yaakov acquire this rod? You ever stop to think? Where did he get this staff from? We said he was the first. Where did he get it from? Well, the answer comes when just about uh, confronting his brother Esav, Yaakov Avinu makes a tefillah to God. He's worried. He says, God, I've been diminished, I've been made humbled by all the kindnesses and truth that you have done for me. I came, I crossed the Jordan with this rod, with this staff, 
and now I've become two camps. He doesn't know what to do. So, but Yaakov is hinting that he's had this rod from the moment he crossed over the Jordan. And Rashi says, for with my staff, Rashi says, I didn't have anything with me, not silver, not gold, not sheep, not livestock, just my staff. To understand this Rashi, we have to look at Yaakov's first encounter with Rachel, a famous Midrash that many of you have probably heard before. When Yaakov first encounters Rachel, the Torah tells us, Vaisad kolo he raised his voice and he wept. And there Rashi explains, why did Yaakov cry? He cried because he came empty-handed. He said, Eliezer, the servant of my grandfather Abraham, had nose rings, he had bracelets, he had delicacies to bring to Rivka, as to, 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 to grab her as a wife for Yitzchak. And I have nothing. Why do I have nothing? Because Eliphaz, the son of Esav, pursued him. Esav commanded Eliphaz to kill his uncle Yaakov. And he found him, he overtook him. But Eliphaz grew up on Yitzchak's lap. And he said, what, could I, what, what can I do? I can't, I, I, on one hand, I have to follow my father's command and kill you, but I love you. I don't want to, I don't want to disappoint my, my, my grandfather, Yitzchak. You're his son. So what did Yaakov tell him? Take my possessions, take everything I have. Take my gold, take my silver, take my livestock, take everything, because then I'd be poor. And a poor person is considered kilumet, like he's dead. And this is what Yaakov meant with, I, this staff of mine is the only thing I crossed with. That's all I have is this staff. He remained bereft of all his material possessions. All that he had left was this, was this makal. Rabotai, think about this for a moment. It's not difficult to imagine how easy it, mu- it, it could have been for Yaakov to fall into depression, to fall into despair, to lament his bitter fate. Was it really necessary for him to endanger his life for the sake of those blessings by disguising himself as Esav to deceive his father? He tells his mother very honestly, maybe my father's going to feel my skin and I'm going to be viewed as an imposter and I'm going to bring upon myself a curse, not a blessing. And Yaakov, though, did not despair. Instead, he reinforced his emunah in Hashem and immediately, he leaves because he knows this is what's best. When Eliezer went back to bring, to get Rivka, the Midrash tells us, the servant took ten camels and so many other things. Yaakov says, I don't even have a single ring to give to Rachel. I don't even have a single bracelet. But am I going to lose faith in my Creator? Chas shalom, Yaakov said. I will not lose faith in my Creator, but rather, Ezri me'im Hashem. My help is from Hashem. So the rods that Yaakov Avinu placed in plain view of those holy yet unfortunate sheep in Lavan's possession were an expression of his incredible strong emunah. Eliphaz had robbed him of all his material possessions, but he did not despair. He inculcated this emunah in the neshamot that he had re- that had reincarnated into Lavan sheep. He didn't want them to despair, even though they were in the bodies of livestock. He wanted them to be resolute in their emunah, 
that HaKadosh Baruch Hu released them from their confinement, returned them to the state of human beings. That was the power of the Makel. That was the, the, the power of Me'olam Kivinulach. We will always have hope in you. And that's why Yaakov's staff was referred to as Makel and Moshe was referred to as Mateh. Makel, like we said, is Me'olam Kivinulach. Moshe, Moshe's staff served a different purpose. Moshe's staff, had to, he had to sway the hearts of the Jewish people who sunk to the 49th level of Tumah. For him it was Mateh Lehatot. Lehatot means to switch, to sway completely. Because now he had to use that staff to implement, to sway the hearts of the Jewish people to believe in Hashem. So what does that have to do with this conversation we started with? Abotai, look how this all connects. This esoteric, profound conversation between God and Moshe Rabbeinu with the staff. This exchange, Moshe Rabbeinu responds to God and says, but they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to my voice. They're going to say, Hashem did not appear to you. And like we said, heresy the, and the lack of emunah in Hashem was already deeply rooted in those neshamot. They were there for a long time. Those Jews living in Egypt had inside of them this heresy because they had reincarnated from the generations of the flood and the generations of the dispersion. And Moshe Rabbeinu had good reason to suspect that they wouldn't believe him, chas v'shalom, to push aside those fears, HaKadosh Baruch Hu responded with a very compelling argument. And he said, what's in your hand? Hashem alluded to Moshe Rabbeinu that the staff that he had in his hand was not the first, he wasn't the first owner. He had, that staff had previously belonged to Yaakov Avinu. And Yaakov Avinu had performed a very symbolic gesture with that staff by digging it into the water to inculcate the emunah in the neshamot of the Jewish people, of the neshamot of those 600,000 that were among Lavan's sheep. The Hebrew word for makel, me'olam kivinulach, a declaration of faith, a declaration of emunah. And therefore Yaakov Avinu had already paved the way for the neshamot of the Jewish people to come to Egypt and to rise from the level of a sheep to the level of Adam. To have emunah in Hashem. They already have it in them. Me'olam kivinulach with this maket. And to emphasize the tremendous power of Moshe's staff and the ability to sway the hearts of the Jewish people to believe wholeheartedly in God, God tells Moshe Rabbeinu, what? Cast it to the ground. Throw it to the ground. And Moshe Rabbeinu cast it to the ground and it became a snake. It became a serpent. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu there informed Moshe that if he failed to utilize the power of the staff to instill in the Jewish people a firm emunah in Hashem, then the Nachash Kadmoni, the snake, is going to awaken. It was the same Nachash that undermined the emunah in God of the Neshamot during, the, during Adam and Chava by the tree of knowledge. And it was because of that snake that they were forced to reincarnate. And Moshe Rabbeinu got scared. Vayanos Moshe Mipana, Moshe Rabbeinu fled from it. Because why? Because he was a Gilgul of Adam Harishon. He reincarnated from Adam. He recalled that he had already fallen prey to the Nachash. So he ran away. It caused him to shudder. 
And Hashem said to Moshe, hey, where are you going? Stop right there. Stretch out your hand. Grab its tail. Kadosh Baruch Hu was telling Moshe to overcome the Nachash. Take control of it. Overcome that Yetzirah, the Nachash representing, embodying the Yetzirah. How? By considering its ultimate end, the tail. As we learned the Gemara Masechet Sukkah, Kadosh Baruch Hu will ultimately slaughter the Yetzirah. He will terminate its existence. So he stretched out his hand and he grabbed the tail tightly and it became a staff once again in his palm. And as a result of the miraculous feats that he would perform with that staff, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said and assured him that they shall believe, the Jewish people shall believe that Hashem, the God of their forefathers, appeared to you. Elohei Abraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov. This is the meaning of the conclusion of that Midrash, which stated that the staff which belonged to Yaakov and then belonged to Yehuda and then belonged to Moshe and Aharon and David and all the kings that came afterwards until the times of Mashiach, it's destined to be delivered into the hands of Melech HaMashiach. With it, with that staff, he will subjugate the idolaters. And that's why the Pasuk says, the staff of your strength will be dispatched by Hashem from Zion. As in the days that you left the land of Egypt, I will show you wonders. The Zohar tells us that just like Moshe Rabbeinu oversaw and directed the exodus from Egypt, he will do the same. He will do the same when it comes time for the future Geula. And this is what's alluded in the Pasuk in Kohelet. Ma shehaya hu That which was... It will be. And the Rashi Tevot, the acronym of those three words is Moshe. Ma Yahu, the Mem Shin Hei. In stating the direct allusion that what was once Moshe Rabbeinu will be once again directing the Jewish people in the times of Mashiach. That clarifies the message of this Midrash beautifully. Moshe Rabbeinu used this same staff, the staff of Yaakov, which inculcated the emunah and the belief into those souls, those holy souls of the Jewish people. Moshe Rabbeinu used that staff to bring the plagues upon the Egyptians. And that's how he swayed the hearts of them to believe in God. And so too, in a similar fashion, Melech HaMashiach, who is none other than Moshe, is destined to use the same staff, the same staff to sway the hearts of the Jewish people in the future, to believe in Hashem by vanquishing all the idolaters who did not believe in Hashem, all those people who oppressed the Jewish people during all the Galuyot, all the various exiles that we found ourselves in and we still find ourselves in, unfortunately. This is the message of the Pasuk. The staff of your strength will be dispatched by Hashem from Zion in the hands of Melech HaMashiach who should come. Amen. Wishing everybody a wonderful night.